Cell is the leading distributor of radiotherapy patient positioning equipment and physics QA products in the UK and Ireland, supplying both the NHS and private sector. And you can also catch up with OSL at the BIR conference on the 30th and 31st of March, as well as visiting our booth at Estro this year. As always, please do not hesitate to get in touch to discuss your product and service requirements with our friendly and knowledgeable account specialists, as and when required. We are all from a radiotherapy background and we are more than happy to chat about the clinical benefits and workflows of all of our products. Please go to our website at www.osl.uk.com or if you would like to speak to us, please call 01743 462 694. Hi, my name is Laura and I work at Convensis as a Partnerships Manager. Join us at the NHS Oncology Conference on the 6th of June 2023 in Manchester. We'll open the debate on how the NHS is planning to lean on new models of delivery and innovation to help manage the current treatment backlogs and improve outcomes on a national scale. All tickets are free for the NHS to attend. To register for your free ticket, visit convensis.co.uk. Welcome to podcast number 86. My name is Namundra Granson and I'm joined by fellow host Joe McNamara. Hi everyone. A big thank you to our last guest Rebecca Quick who talked about her experience of cancer and living with the consequences of treatment. If you haven't had a chance yet, please do go and take a listen. So we're very pleased to introduce our guest Noelle Clerkin who is an advanced practitioner working towards consultant practice and she will be discussing mammography screening and her career pathway. Um, hi Noelle, how are you? Hello, hello everybody. Um, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I am very, very excited to be here and congratulations on your recent accolade with the society. You are raising the profile so much. It's brilliant work. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was a busy week as Joe and I have said. Yes. <laughs> I think we've just about recovered. <laughs> so, Noelle, could you tell us a bit about yourself and uh, your career pathway? Lovely. So, I'm a diagnostic radiographer. I'm currently working as a deputy breast service manager for the Belfast Trust. Within my um, position I have a number of roles. I'm lead clinical practice educator um, which is associated with Nottingham Institute of Breast Education and we are a satellite centre that deliver um, assessment and training for postgraduate radiographers completing their postgraduate certificate in mammography. Um, I'm also an advanced practitioner and definitely um, I get most excited with my work as an advanced practitioner practice radiographer. Um, I am currently in my third and final year of my PhD, um, which is, ex um, I'm very, very excited to be on the home stretch. Um, and I'm also a visiting lecturer for the University of Suffolk. And I um, am an external examiner for St. George's University in London as well. So my role is quite diverse and dynamic. Um, and I really love that about it. Um, it's definitely evolved um, since I, you know, thought about being a radiographer. Um, I come from a healthcare background. My um, dad is a paramedic and my mum is a radiographer. So I don't really remember a time where when I didn't know about radiography really. As a little girl, I remember um, fogging film on my mum in the dark room. Um, I remember stamping right and lefts onto analog film as well. I don't think I really should be saying this, but um, I, I honestly don't remember a time when I didn't know what radiography was. So it was kind of a natural progression going in um, and diagnostic radiography was kind of a clear route for me as well. Um, 
I undertook my um, degree with the University of Suffolk and I qualified when I was very young. I was 20 when I qualified and I moved back to Ireland um, and worked for Monaghan General Hospital and then with St Vincent's University Hospital in Dublin and this is a large teaching hospital and it was an excellent opportunity for me to hone my skills as a radiographer and um, they are affiliated with University College Dublin so that is where I undertook my first postgraduate um, education I suppose study and um, I uh, trained as a mammographer with them um, in 2013, I relocated back to East Anglia. You see a trend here. And um, I worked for the Colchester and Chelmsford Breast Screening Service. And that's where I worked with an excellent team of um, superb radiologists and advanced practitioners and um, built on my advanced practice skills there. Um, and then after COVID, I relocated back to Northern Ireland and um, I've taken up this position. So I'm really, really fortunate. I've worked for all three healthcare services. You know, I've worked for the HSE in Ireland, I've worked for NHS, and now um, most recently the HSE and I. So it's really given me a real great overview of the healthcare service. And um, I, I, I love that, uh, that I'm able to disseminate my own expertise and my own knowledge, but also build on existing practice, you know, um, especially in the Belfast Trust. Um, it's um, really exciting and um, I work for a really progressive and um, uh, supportive um, trust that are very excited about my work and um, that I think that filters down across the whole department as well. Noelle, you sound really lazy. You don't, you're not doing enough. Like, seriously. No. I can't no. believe how little you're doing within your field. Um, no, I love it though, Joe. It's easy, you know, it's not easy. You, I know you have to dedicate your time, but um, I'm definitely a nerd. I love anything to do with breast imaging. And um, I'm very, I'm, people say I'm enthusiastic and maybe a bit too much, you know, that really annoying person that um, talks about the work too much and, but I, I just enjoy it and um, it definitely has grown. I wasn't a very good undergraduate student. I was very young and um, I think my love for my role has developed through working in the hospital setting and um, it, it, that really has developed through um, each stage of my career and working with brilliant um, expertise and brilliant disciplines across the trust. So um, it's really good, yeah. So Noelle, for anyone listening, what is a mammographer do you do your undergraduate degree and then you qualify as a mammographer or do you have to do extra studies to get there a mammographer is um, someone that takes mammograms in essence and mammographer is a term that we use to cover um, a number of disciplines really we call assistant practitioners that study to take uh, mammograms mammographers also um, so it's a term for imaging practitioners within a breast unit that take mammograms um, but we sp specifically with radiographers um, yes you undertake a postgraduate um, certificate in mammography and it's at master's level um, there's a research element to it as well and it specializes in um, breast um, physiology and pathology and um, really gives um, a great insight into positioning because mammography they call 
is the art of positioning and it's so important that radiographers adapt their technique to the individual they're imaging so that they don't lose any information you know um it, it, you can't underestimate if you lose um half a centimeter of tissue you could be losing information there so the skill set a mammographer brings to the role um is very specialized and um it's built over time and um, experience also Something that would interest you guys, though, and I, I find it really exciting, is the fact that radiotherapy radiographers are entering the world of mammography. And I think it's really complementary of the work you guys do. And um, it's been a really successful initiative. Um, I work with um, three radiotherapy radiographers that have specialised in mammography. And um, it really uh, diversifies our um, knowledge as a team. Um, yeah, I've we've run a couple of we're running a couple of CPD sessions on um you know the overlap and um I think it's a really really interesting dynamic, um and something that really elevates the role of radiographer in both disciplines. So um yeah 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 I've good. definitely lost uh, graduates to mammography, um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a bit like no don't leave. But uh, exactly as you said, it it is that whole kind of role dynamic that actually I think helps within the team as a multidisciplinary team but also for the patient I think you know having that extended knowledge from their perspective can Definitely. help the patient exactly the same as a diagnostic mammographer would again complement around kind of some of the imaging processes and the pathway that those patients would go through um but yeah I, workforce shortages I think I think it's Hands slightly up. challenging <laughs> <laughs> I would say though um Noel and this again might be a bit of a political hot potato but there is there's different pay scales isn't there so I know that when I've kind of talked to some of our graduates about what's enticed them to enter a career pathway in mammography one of the things is the fact that you know paid apprenticeships to then get to that postgraduate level is very common and then obviously when you're qualified you're automatically on a on a band six i don't know if that's ne necessarily the case in ireland mm. but you know do you think that that's potentially something that should be rolled out across lots of different disciplines i i think you're that's a really um you said it when you said hot potato and i think it's really hot off the press when you talk about advanced practice and you talk oh, i know um there's a lot of um discussion around role development enhance practice and advance practice and i think um that affiliating it with a banding and um, with the pay scale is something that isn't straightforward you know um if you go even further down the line and with consultant practice um there's no consistent level across the board and um I, um, you know, the work that um, our, our fellow um, colleague Kerry Mills is doing with Health Education England and really stratifying that process, I think is only a good thing. Um, and that will, I, I really truly believe it will filter down across all the bandings. But I definitely think with advanced, enhanced practice, um, it's something that needs to be um, ironed out. With band sixes, at um, a, because then there's dis the discussion um, of a, the assistant practice role as a screening mammographer and then um, the additional responsibility that comes with being a qualified radiographer um, undertaking mammograms at a symptomatic level as well as a screening level you know there is overlap and there's definitely room for development there as well um, I know in Ireland a, a 
those roles of advanced practice and um, assistant practitioning roles are limited but across the NHS it's definitely something that needs to be um, ironed out yeah room for discussion too yeah you mentioned a few different roles there Noelle so just so I understand you would do your diploma qualify would you start at band five or would you start at band six level yeah um, it depends on the trust for example, I was interviewing yesterday for band um, six position, and they um, begin. Uh, they are employed as a band five, and once they gain their qualification, then um, they're um, introduced to the band six level. But I, for example, where I worked in Colchester, they employed trainee mammographers at a band six. So I, I'm. Um, I know that's a good question for CEOs and um, chief execs of the um, hospital because I'm not too sure where it lies there, but they're definitely varied. Um, and I, I do think there's an incentive there. There's a drive to achieve your band six when you, you know, um, to uh, feel accomplished when you've, um, you know, undertaken postgraduate study. And I think that's really, that's a great driver for someone. But um, uh, yeah, I, I know it's, it, it's not consistent. It's interesting because obviously anyone listening doesn't know band five is an entry level into the NHS where you need to have a degree, but you can qualify as a therapeutic radiographer um, as a, and work as a band four until your eight CPC registration comes in. So you can do that, but it sounds a bit like in mammography, you can work as a five while getting a diploma and then almost you have that progression already written in, which is yes. quite amazing because I think in our world, to some, some places to get to a band six, it could be years and years and years. Yes. Uh, and, and I'm sure that's the incentive for radiotherapy radiographers going into mammography, you know, to get that band six position. Um, yeah, I, I think it's something they definitely need to look at, you know, yeah. And um, acknowledge, especially if someone is studying at master's level, that needs to be appreciated, you know, and um, re- not reward isn't the right, but acknowledged for sure, you know. Yeah. You, you mentioned as well symptomatic and screening. How does that differ for a mammographer? Yes, so um, within the bre- within breast imaging, we have two services. We have the symptomatic service, so um, a clients, uh, excuse me, not clients, patients that attend their to uh, are seen with their GP with a symptom so they have a concern or a worry and then they're referred and within the NHS we have a number of targets that we have to meet and they have to be seen within the breast department within two weeks so um, when they're referred to us um, and this is really the gold standard for um, symptomatic work across the NHS and uh, I think it's really the foundation for why um, and I know I'm biased here of why the breast service is so excellent um, when they attend for this one-stop appointment, um, they're seen by a multi-discipline um, of um, consultants. So you meet with um, a surgeon initially that clinically examines you. Um, then they assess what um, imaging they need. So that could be a mammogram if you fit the criteria or the clinical indications meet that or an ultrasound. So any imaging uh, is requested on that day. Um, and then the next step of that would be if they need any um, intervention, so any tests with a needle um, to um, confirm diagnosis. And there's a number of terms for this clinic. We call it a one-stop 
one-stop shop, a one-stop clinic, um, where everything happens under one roof. Um, they also call it a rapid diagnostic or a triple assessment, so whereby everything happens in the one day. And this is excellent in that it alleviates anxiety for the patient. You know, if it's a case where we can reassure the woman or man and um, or whoever they identify as. So they are assessed under the one roof. Uh, they have a any test that they need on that day and whether or not that's a reassurance and then they can go home or indeed um, if it's something that they need further investigation. Now I know um, there will be a discussion well can you have an MRI on that day and unfortunately because of um, limitations and um, the I suppose what an MRI consists of and the waiting times that's not available and also because of the clinical indications of an MRI scan at the moment that um, isn't reflected in a one-stop clinic at present but the gold standard for um, breast care is mammogram and ultrasound together um, and that overlaps and can provide as much information as the consultants need. Um, so that's the symptomatic side of things. Then you have the screening service, and this is a different ball game, really. You know, um, initially, if we touch the surface of screening, we can talk about ladies that um, are um, between the ages of 50 and 70 that are invited every three years for breast um, cancer screening. Um, and that's through the National Health Service Breast Screening Programme that was in. Um, derived in the 80s and 88 and um, it's been exceptionally successful but as we've d evolved you know um, and as um, personalized medicine um, and patient-centered care um, you know we then devolve into screening with high-risk women um, specifically um, genetic mutations family history um, and screening also um, evolves that way but um, they are specifically asymptomatic women that are screened and have a mammogram um, or other tests that review um, the status of their breast tissue and whether or not they need further investigation from there. So um, yeah, yeah, they're the two uh, services that um, are um, developed within breast imaging. Mm. Noelle, you mentioned about symptomatic and having a mammogram then followed obviously by an ultrasound we had Cheryl Cruz on recently who was talking about yes. breast density um so because it's not standard practice here in the UK um should should that be something that worries patients you know what what allows the criteria for patients to have a mammogram and then go on to have an ultrasound yes um it's a very great question Joe, and it's something that's very complex um Cheryl Cruz, and uh, that was an excellent um, podcast. I really enjoyed listening to it, um, and I think it's something that um, highlights the fact that the women that are attending for screening today are so much more informed, and are asking questions, and rightly so, of the risks of um, their personalised uh, mammogram. So, um, in a nutshell, from a mammographer's point of view, and I'm not an expert in any way. Um, this is just from a radiog radiographic perspective when we take a mammogram um, there is um, it's a gray scale image obviously that's what an x-ray looks like and we can see the glandular pattern against the fatty breast tissue now naturally um, as um, in a young person they have more glandular tissue um, than someone who is, um, is older um, our breasts go through a process 
process of involution whereby um, the glandular tissue swaps for fatty breast tissue um, as we evolve. Um, now with breast density, um, especially in young ladies, and this is why we don't mammogram um, routinely of ladies under 35, and I think that needs, I, I, I don't think the public understand why. I, I, I have so many ladies that come and ask me, well I want a mammogram, I want to make sure my breasts are okay, but the reason why we don't image and don't um, perform a mammogram on women usually under the age of 35 is because it's not very diagnostic you know we're irradiating um, radiosensitive tissue and um, if for the purpose and we have to weigh the benefits of it and if uh, their breasts are full of glandular tissue and are not able to um, be read by our whether our it is a consultant radiographer or radiologist or in, in fact an um, advanced practitioner um, it's like a minefield. You can't, um, I, I suppose, um, diverse yeah, to interpret through all the glandular tissue. Um, it's almost like I, um, a very f yeah, famous professor compared it to finding Where's Wally. You know, it's if you imagine Where's Wally and invert it into a gray scale, it's a challenge to try and find the different patterns against it. So. That's why um, usually um, in ladies under 35, if you, you, you attend symptomatically, we perform an ultrasound routinely. And then in some c circumstances, uh, depending on the clinical indications, a mammogram may be performed, um, but that is definitely case by case basis. Um, yeah. So with breast density, some ladies have, um, when they go through the process of involution, you can still come across a lady in their 17s that have very dense breasts. And um, I know Cheryl discussed um, the BIRAD scale. I know she spoke about that. And that is the scale that's used to identify how dense your uh, parenchymal pattern is. Um, a very um, famous radiologist called Laszlo Tabar um, uh, initiated that yeah, scale and it's uh, very very helpful to identify how dense yeah, someone's breast is but it's very ob ob you know it's not a very objective review you know um, there's a lot of research going into um, AI on how to analyze and how to calculate how dense a breast is from a mammogram or other imaging modalities but it's not an exact science and I, I think that causes complications in informing the woman of specifically you know how dense and what risk factor is associated with it so um it's it's a complex one and um but i i do think they're making um you know, you know they're making waves with breast density and um um it's definitely something to watch out for and as a woman i think um I, i'm interested to know that as well yeah you've touched on obviously different factors that can affect the quality of a mammogram i mean this might seem like a silly question but um what happens to people who have implants or have had maybe various different types of surgery as well? Yes, um, I think it, it's a great question them and they have, um, you know, we meet ladies not just only with their breasts but with their body habitus, you know, um, limitations in uh, mobility, um, uh, challenges undertaking a mammogram and they're all um, factors that we need to consider when taking um, the image um, our, our priority is getting the best image for the patient. So whether or not they have implants in place, we just have to use our radiography skills, adapt our technique to that particular client or patient. So specifically with implants, we take additional images to um, slightly position the implant out of the way. It's called an Eklund view. Um, and that uh, enables us to 
visualize the breast tissue um, in front um, of um, the implant. Um, it, uh, you mentioned them in on um, a surgical scarring, um, a clients or patients that have had um, radiotherapy. This all impacts um, and can um, cause it more of a challenge, let's say, to take a mammogram. But I really, really like to press that mammograms shouldn't be a terrifying experience, you know. I, I like to tell my patients to come and visit us with an open mind, you know, um, try not to read into too much of the horrible stories that you do here and communicate any limitations or concerns that you have you know um just have a chat with us um and i i, I know um as a mammographer myself that um i will listen to those um worries and concerns or limitations and adapt uh, to deliver the best results really um so yeah oh yeah, there's definitely um different ways um to take a mammogram and we've lots of tricks up our sleeve to make the process as easy and as um straightforward the, for the patient as best we can how would you explain it from a patient's perspective yes so obviously the horror stories I know. I mean, i've never had one no. hopefully i never need one exactly. but I've, I've not heard that they're very pleasant no i know Nim, and i know I, i've heard oh, so many stories that um patients come in um before we undertake the procedure and they tell me what they've heard and um other oh, I, I don't think i'd come for a mammogram either if i've heard some of those stories but um what i said i what i'll tell you is what i say to my ladies you know or my um whoever comes and that's something i have to apologize for i say ladies a lot we say a lot we see a lot of women um in the breast unit but um eh, there's anyone that comes to see us um, I say the exact same thing. I compare it almost to an um, encyclopedia or a heavy book resting on your breast. It's very strange. I know, Nimmin, that's, uh, that's a, but it's like a heavy book resting on your breast. But it only lasts for 10 seconds. I always say that, and it's we take it. Um, we take four images usually, and it's something I, I like to empower my ladies. I like to say, you can do this. This is um, you've overcome so much in your life. I'm sure this is nothing. You know, it um, takes a few seconds, and um, uh, the compression releases quite quickly. Um, but it, it's very dependent on, as you said before, and, and the um, sensitivity and um, the context of the breast tissue that we're imaging, and um, we have to uh, consider all those factors when taking the mammogram. And I think on applying compression, the radiographer obviously has control. Um, there are equipment and manufacturers that are introducing self-compression buttons for um, giving the patient the control. Um, but usually the radiographer has the control of applying the compression and um, it's measured in DACA newtons. It's, it, 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 you know, um, it, it it is a it is a squeeze, but it doesn't last very long, and I like to um, emphasise that. And I also like to emphasise the importance of the images that we get. They're so informative, and um, a, yeah, empower the lady that there is a purpose to this. And if we get good pictures, we can answer her questions. What's the impact from COVID been with breast screening? Yes, um, it, it's had a massive impact and it's very different across um, all of the trusts across the UK. With screening, been in a process um, of change recently um, with a process called BS Select, but how we usually invite women is through GP, GP practice. Um, and um, we talk about something called round length a lot. So because we have to see a woman every three years, we have to um, call them within that time frame within from their cycle from 50 to 70. And um, 
the COVID um, pause, as we call it, uh, has, has had an impact on round length um, and uh, different trusts are um, adhering to it differently. Um, we've had a number of um, additional clinics um, that we've had to um, support and staff. And I, I know from working in um, East Anglia and working in Belfast um, from the start and end, if you call, call the end of COVID, um, there has been um, a number of additional clinics and onset of additional surgeries as well um, after uh, the pause. But I don't think we'll see the implications or the impact of that for a number of years, Nimmin. Um, it, it will take time to see the uh, specific effect. And I know there's been a lot of um, research focused on the COVID impact, but specifically in breast screening, it will take a few um, years to actually notice how many breast cancers have we missed you know uh, because of that pause and, and I, I know from the Pelfast perspective we have caught up we're we're on target at present and um, we're w definitely um there's a huge um effort to um a deliver more screening clinics and um, to accommodate more women um and but that will have an implication again on their um because their appointment was late this time it will have an impact on uh, the next round length so in another three years will they be late again um so to speak so um it's it's a difficult one to say but um we'll wait and see what the publications and literature states um yeah and it's interesting, isn't it? Because there was so much emphasis placed on screening diagnostic pathways, but it seemed like that didn't follow through into early treatment. So those that you were screening and then diagnosing, actually, it seemed like there wasn't the prov same provision yes. provided or the resource for those yes. who actually then um, went on to actually need treatment. Yes, I, yes, um, that's very true, Jo. Um, I know it's been it's amazing how adaptable we are though especially in breast imaging you know um and with covid uh, and social distancing there was a lot of techniques that we were able to adapt um, for example when you're talking about surgery there um, the introduction of magnetic seeds into the breast um instead of a marker clip when an area was um sampled you know that um eliminated the need for wire localizations and that um was something that was implemented across the nhs you know um and it's still to this day, the changes uh, for the good, you know, um, have um, been implemented and um, brought into general practice as well. Um, but yes, um, it'll be interesting to see the outcomes of that in the next coming years. Noel, can you tell us a little bit more about that? So at what point would someone have those markers Procedures. placed? Yeah, yeah, of course. So um, ultrasound marker clips are um, very common practice in um, breast imaging. Um, I always say thousands of people um, walking around um, Belfast have um, a marker clip in place. They're they're expensive. They're about usually about eighty quid each. Um, I often joke that your your breast will be more expensive leaving the department than it has coming in. Um, uh, they are very very useful. So when I undertake um, and I can I, I speak for myself when I undertake um, interventional procedures. So when I undertake a stereotactic biopsy, for example, and this is similar to said that uh, to um, consultant radiologists and practitioners that undertake biopsies under ultrasound, um, we target on an area um, and we like to know where exactly we have been. So um, say, for example, in the case of calcification. So calcification um, is something that we like to test for in breast imaging. 
um, it can be a precursor for ductal carcinoma in situ um, or other conditions for preliminary DCIS. Um, so we like to test for calcification. But sometimes we want to, um, and uh, this has been common practice now, is to place a marker clip in place to show where we've been with our needle. Um, yeah, so it highlights exactly um, for example, I can remove all of the calcification or I may have targeted the incorrect area. It shows exactly where we've been on that day. Um, now, there is considerations as well because you can have clip migration. Um, so that needs to be a consideration. But specifically, um, and usually the marker clip sits where we've been um, and can then lead on to it can reassure us that that area is normal and in future I often say to my um, cli uh, clients that um, oh we've t when you uh, win the lotto and go to Barbados and have a mammogram in Barbados and they don't know your history um, but they can see your mammogram and they can see that you've had a marker clip and you can say that's been tested and that has um, that is just normal tissue and that's a normal variant for you but on the other case if this turns out to be um, an area for concern, they're very, very useful for the surgeon um, to localise impalpable lesions. So, um, for example, um, if it was an area of calcification that isn't visualised on ultrasound or um, on clinical examination, we usually, and that historically, we've placed a localisation wire at the site of the marker clip. Um, and this allows the surgeon to follow the wire down to the site um, of the area under investigation. Now, what I mentioned there about magnetic seeds is it's this um, um, new um, technology that has been used to, it's just a tiny little seed, very similar size of a marker clip that's magnetic. And there are, you know, we use another magnet up in theatre, we call it the probe, that uh, the surgeon is allowed to um, brush over the breast and it uh, alerts the surgeon to where exactly the seed is sitting. And the benefits of this is that a localization wire, because it has the chance of moving in the breast, um, because uh, the wire does um, appear out of the patient's skin, um, it has the chance of moving. So usually we'd only put a wire in maybe the day before or on the day of surgery. And you can imagine in the middle of COVID, the implications of that um, was quite challenging whereby the magnetic seed at the site of biopsy, um, a magnetic seed could be placed um, as well as or in place of a marker clip. Um, so um, it removed that um, need for additional localization. Now, of course, there's other stipulations, you know, magnetic seeds um, cause blooming and artifact MRI. So we have to consider that they can't be used in all circumstances. And also, um, localization wires are excellent at what they do. You know, they localize and they don't move place. Magnetic seeds sometimes can um, displace and migrate in the breast depending on the density of it. Um, so there are challenges there. But um, no, it's very interesting the different um, techniques that we can use to localize and impact lesion um, and um, the very clever surgeons are excellent at what they do and um, it just goes to show the diversity of the multidisciplinary team you know we have to talk to each other and see what works best for that particular patient and emphasis on patient-centered care because not every patient is different not every diagnosis is different and um, we have to meet um, specifically um, what is right for that uh, patient does it vary between I mean people with maybe less of a chest size so i'm thinking obviously between men and women but also potentially females yes. who don't have as much breast tissue yeah not at all i know um 
uh, patients that come and see us do have that concern and um, a lot of gentlemen um, I x-ray um, how are you going to do this what what how are you going to do a mammogram on me well I I've, I I've never not been able to you know there's lots of techniques and tricks that we can use to adapt um, the patient into position um, you, yes, we there's a variety of sizes of breasts, you know, um, a, a variety of sizes of body habitus. We're all different, um, and I think that's the joy in the art of mammography, in that we work to suit the patient. And um, there's many things that we can do, um, technically to adapt. Whether that even simple things like sitting the patient down or um, lowering the height of the bookie, um, different angles that we can come at. You know, um, there's lots of different ways that we can accommodate. So I I, I try and reassure my um, patients as best we can that um, there's always a way and um, if um, if we work together we usually get the best results. Have you had a mammogram Noelle? Is it something that as mammographers you kind of go right let's all just I know. have a go because I know as therapeutic radiographers we're always like right we need you to experience from a patient perspective. Yes. I just wondered if it was something that you did yes. practically. I, uh, well um, it's a really great question Joe, and that's something that um, our patients ask us a lot have you had this done you know this is horrendous have you had it done do you know what it's like and I I, I have um, I, I, I felt the compression so I need to answer this properly Joe no I have not had a mammogram I am 34 um, so I look forward to having a mammogram in a weird sort of way and you know, being able to resonate with my patients. But I am very familiar with the compression that we use. You know, um, my hand um, has been in that machine a lot, and I, I know the force and the pressure that it, it's applied. And I know that's not the same as um, uh, having a mammogram specifically. But what I do say, and I, I think it's important to resonate. You know. Um, with midwives as well you know we have excellent midwives that um haven't had babies you know but can be super and excellent at their job so even though i haven't had a mammogram um i i, I really try and um i really believe i'm i'm good at taking mammograms you know it doesn't hinder my ability to um on you know um undertake the procedure and i think that's um i think that's an important point you know yeah and obviously just to reiterate no one actually receives a radiation dose when we're practicing techniques. I can just envisage someone going, what <laughs> therapeutic radiographers get some radiotherapy whilst, yes, they're, whilst no. they're trying it out? Absolutely not. It's just the technical yes. setup yes. of the procedures. <laughs> and it's that simulation, isn't it, of um, kind of getting into the mindset of what the per patient is experiencing and... Um, uh, I, th I think um, alongside the physical aspect of having a mammogram, I think that anxiety is also something, you know, um, that you need to appreciate um, even more so, you know, so there's a lot of factors trying to get into that patient mindset and appreciate what they're going through. Noelle, you talked about your PhD. What is your subject? What are you looking into? talk all day about my PhD it's um, my husband is bored to tears I am looking at association and factors that hinder or optimize radiographic image interpretation so um, we know that radiologists are excellent at Im in interpreting mam mammograms there's literature that um, evidences this um, across the globe we also know, and literature also states, that radiologists m mirror those of radiographers that image interpret. We evidence also states this as well. But what makes my PhD innovative and, I suppose, um, 
the world's first, as my supervisors always say, is that um, we do not know specifically what makes a radiographer great at image interpretation. And um, uh, when there was a shortage of radiologists in the UK in the 90s, um, radiographers were trained to interpret mammograms. Um, and this has led to um, an excellent precedent of um, universities delivering master's level qualifications on image interpretation. And there's over 300 uh, radiographers interpreting mammograms across the UK at present. So my point is that we need to set a precedent, you know, um, we need to set benchmarks and have evidence-based practice. How can we deliver and know, uh, deliver the optimum um, breast screening service if we don't know what makes, um, and what makes a radiographer great at image interpreting? Um, and to be able to set um, benchmarks and um, understand uh, factors that can indeed um, leave for the future of image interpreting and um, radiography-led reporting. So uh, that's what I'm looking at. Um, I, it's very, I'm very excited about it, Nimmin. I'm using a platform called Detected X. Um, and Detected X is an ed edu educational iCloud-based strategy um, that um, it has a wonderful um, learning um, portals. So I'd uh, encourage anyone to take a look. And it's really, really good from a radiography positioning background, but a radiographic or um, and specifically radiology reporting. Um, so um, it's a really, really slick bit of kit. Um, radiographers log on on a workstation, review um, a set of 60 images, and then I will collate data alongside um, a questionnaire I ask them to complete. And basically, I'm um, looking at the statistics and the associations between both of those results. Um, I recently published a paper on um, the foundation and a literature review of the foundation of my study. Um, uh, so please have a read. I'd love to hear what people think of it. Um, I'm very excited about that. And um, I uh, look forward to publishing my findings in this next coming year um, and kind of setting a precedent for the excellent work radiographers are doing in image interpreting. Um, I, I have to mention, I, and I can't not mention um, my supervisors when it comes to my PhD. Um, without support, undertaking a PhD when you are working is um, essential, you know, um, and support can come in many forms, you know, um, I have a lovely husband at home and a lovely little boy that is my escapism when I um, need to be pulled away from the computer. Um, I have excellent support with my trust I, um, in management and um, the, my radiologists that I work with are superbly um, supportive of um, my endeavours but specifically my PhD supervisors, you know, um, and I'd love to mention them if I can. I've got uh, Professor Chantal Ski. Um, she's a um, specialist in integrated care. Um, she's not a, from a radiography background, but um, a, her, um, I suppose, her view on out, uh, looking outside of the box when it comes to radiography practice is invaluable. Um, professor, yeah, Associate Professor Ruth Strudwick, uh, um, uh, I'm sure um, everybody, she doesn't needs no introduction. Um, she's an exceptional academic in the world of interprofessional learning and um, I, I've come to really have, have great fondness for Dr. Strudwick. Um, she was my undergraduate supervisor when I was doing my degree. Um, I really felt for poor Ruth then, but yeah, this has developed into a, a PhD um, study and um, I'm uh, very lucky to have her on board. And then finally, um, I do work with um, the Detected X platform is a, uh, an Australian based company and its um, CEO is Professor Patrick Brennan 
who I, I, who also is happens to be my uncle, um, and <laughs> Professor Brown. I, I know, I know. I'm, I'm very, very lucky. It's very small, um, but um, again, um, how lucky am I to have um, an uncle that has led the world in radiolo radiology research? And um, um, oh, he really tests my boundaries, and uh, he doesn't go on easy on me at all. I have to emphasise that. But I'm very, very lucky that they uh, strive for excellence and support me in um, all of my endeavours with my PhD. So um, yeah, without all of that support, I would not be successful. Um, and I haven't got it yet, so I have to um, keep plodding away so um yeah thank you for letting me mention that <laughs> no it sounds very interesting do you ever think this might be a controversial you don't have to answer but do you ever think we'll get to a point with ai and advanced practitioners like yourselves that when a mammogram is taken and if there is a suspicious finding you could tell the patient there and then um it, it's um i i Nimmin, i don't think we need ai to tell us that you know um radiographers and I think this is something that really uh, looking at the clinical background of how a radiographer um, reviews images is um, when we see and look at mammograms day in day out um, it's a process of being familiar with the images and knowing what is a normal variant and what is not um, so it is a challenge and I think there is a definitely a technique of um, first and foremost we're not um, as mammographers we're not qualified to give um, um, information in that clinical setting Number two, um, it isn't the right um, environment to deliver someone that information. Um, and I think we have to um, just treat everyone who, who come with, with um, the same um, professionalism. And um, you know, our aim is to get the best pictures. As I say to my um, patients and clients, my aim here is to get the best picture I can for, for you. And that, that is my job. And then we will let um, the radiologist or the radiographer who's interpreting the images um, review and report on those findings. So it's almost like a step-by-step -step process. And I, it's something that I do say with screening and um, why screening is uh, so successful is that it, uh, mammograms are double read. I don't know if you're aware of that. So when you attend for screening, two readers review them. So it's almost like a fail-safe. If one disagrees, um, they have to be in consensus. You know, they have to be in agreement um, that um, both of the yeah, mammograms are clear before that lady is discharged um, or returned to a yeah, routine recall. Um, so uh, yes, um, it's a difficult one, um, Nimmin. But um, from a diagnostic um, um, background and um, flying the flag for diagnostic radiography, um, it's the same, very similar to when you see a broken bone on an image. You know, uh, from a professional point of view, I don't think it's the right setting to say unless um, the patient knows themselves that it is broken. Um, and in any, &E you do have those situations, of course. But um, you have to. Um, appreciate that it has to be an appropriate environment to deliver um, such news like that. Yeah. So Noelle, you're working towards consultancy. What does that mean and what is it that you're doing that will eventually make you then gain that esteemed uh, title of consultant diagnostic yes. radiographer? Um, or do you do consultant mammographer? What would the, uh, your actual title be? Yes. I um titles are a tricky thing, Joe. You know, um I God, um I don't think I would mind being called either consultant mammographer or consult consultant radiographer. Um and I think it's not actually the title that um you strive for. I, I, I know you strive for that position, but um I think um 
in breast imaging specifically, the pathway is never very straight, you know, and especially with advanced practice, uh, we have the four pillars of advanced practice, but consultant level practice isn't as, um, as, uh, as the pathway isn't as clear and it is very um, different wherever you um, work and whether that be in breast imaging or in other modalities, the consultant level practice is, is difficult sometimes to um, achieve um, but also to understand what is needed to gain that, um, gain that um, position. Um, within breast imaging, and that's what I can speak about, is um, to become a consultant um, you need um, a number of qualifications. So the aim is to be able to run, to be able to diagnose, re review your images, to t undertake any interventional um, procedures that's necessary um, and to almost um, mirror the work that is done by a consultant radiologist. Um, so I, I, I always like to, it's not a, um, we are not doctors by any mean, we do not have the cross-sectional anatomy uh, background that, and um, the medical background that our esteemed um, radiologists bring to that role, but what we do have is um, um, another set of skills, and I think um, specifically in um, breast imaging, if we look at the different, so you need almost the five areas for consultant practice, so you need to have interventional technique, you need to be able to image and um, operate and report um, uh, sonographically. You need to be able to image interpret your uh, mammograms. And you also need to be able to clinically examine um, the breast um, from a, a clinician perspective as well. And then the final um, spoke of the wheel, I suppose, in consultant-led practices, um, the importance of research. Um, and once all of those um, I suppose qualifications are obtained and experience, then you can apply for a consultant position. So um, e even you may have all the modules and you may have all the qualifications, but you need to uh, find a consultant post that will support your um, uh, su support your work. So um, I really look forward to Health Education England and the work they're doing and um, I suppose setting the pillars for consultant practice because um, if you look at advanced practice and the pillars, you know, education is essential. You also have um, uh, education management, research and clinical expertise and um, I suppose consultant level uh, practice just elevates those pillars um, to an another level. Um, so it's a lot of responsibility and it's a very, very important job and I think um, you need to be competent and confident of your skills before um, for achieving that status. Um, but um, I look forward to maybe achieving it one day. Um, I know um, I'm I the one um, module that I have yet to um, achieve is my um, ultrasound. I'm starting my image interpreting image interpretation course this year um, so um, yeah it's it's not a it's not a race it's a journey and I'm really enjoying um, as I said before I'm too enthusiastic I need to just enjoy what I'm doing at the moment and um, I surely do yeah we both empathize with that don't we Numan <laughs> yeah good 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 I can see it just sounds amazing because it shows again to people general public patients we're not just button pushers where there's so much more to our roles than just taking an x-ray or helping a patient get into a gown that they're, they're like such a multifaceted kind of area diagnostic or therapeutic obviously we're biased therapeutic is better but you've showcased some of the good size of diagnostic today so thank you yes oh good. thank you for the chance to do so Naman. thank you we have so many more questions we want to ask but we're coming towards the end um yes. 
and we always like to finish with top tips um so it'd be great to hear some more you've given some fantastic ones so far already but um yeah well um i'll briefly um yeah, I know uh, for patients, I would say come with an open mind. Don't be scared of radiographers. You know, um, yeah, we're human and we um, want to help you as best we can. Um, yeah, so um, that's what I'd yeah, shout out to anybody coming for a mammogram. Um, for any s healthcare students listening, um, just be proactive. Get involved. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, um, ask questions and. Um, if you're interested in postgraduate study or uh, even undergraduate study, you know, um, get in touch with um, your local university. Don't be afraid to use social media. You know, I think um, there's definitely something that, um, I especially radiographers, are almost scared to get involved with LinkedIn or Twitter. You know, it's so inspiring the work that uh, academics and um, uh, clinical academics are doing. And um, I think you know, not to be afraid to. It, it keeps us up to date. You know, it keeps us current. Um, on and how lucky are we to be living in an age where we have it? Um, we can read about it on our lunch break. You know, it's. Um, brilliant um, and uh, yeah, um, yeah then for my fellow radiographers um, and uh, for uh, I suppose um, any I, I just uh, yeah um, you were gonna say then weren't you any graduate therapeutic radiographers who are interested in <laughs> mammography I could see yeah. it <laughs> um, well Joe yeah um, <laughs> We, we like to poach you know they're you're brilliant and i love to be able to work with you know it's um i think the divisive nature of therapeutic and diagnostic there's so many common um practices and we really need to flag the flight together and um uh, I, I just love the work you're doing and um i'm i'm delighted to be a diagnostic radiographer having this conversation you know this is where it all begins and um yes joe if any radiotherapy radiographers would like to join the mammo um, mammography please get in touch and oh i also wanted to ask if any radiographers that are um image interpreting in the uk i've had a great um a number of participants get involved but please get in touch if you'd like to undertake my study uh, it would be brilliant and um i really would value um any interest um to any of your listeners so um thank you for that too we'll make sure we link it Thanks. Uh, and obviously <laughs> if you do start poaching we want a commission just okay, saying okay, that now okay okay <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I, I, pints of guinness Nimin, would that work oh yeah definitely <laughs> <laughs> definitely um well yeah well thank you so much for coming on again it's been really really interesting and i know for patients and students listening it'll be so so valuable just to understand the process and that it isn't as scary as people think it is good or that's brilliant well thank you so much for having me thank you so yeah thank you for everyone for listening to rad chat your hosts today have been namajal kansen and joe mcnamara for utilizing this podcast for cpd purposes please consider the reflective questions posted along with links to resources and literature we've discussed we'll put noelle's email if you do want to become a mammographer as well to receive your accredited cpd certificate please complete the google form link with the podcast our next guest to feature will be Stefan tyler from educational and they'll be talking about social prescribing so thanks for listening and take care